why don't we pray and ask God for his help. God, thank you for this passage. And uh, there is some wild stuff in here. And so, Lord, we ask uh, for your help. Uh, Help us to understand it. Help us to apply it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, we're celebrating uh, the history of this church. And there's actually not a whole lot of written history uh, about the church. Um, And so, but we are celebrating... 100 years of history, just as much as we're celebrating one year of history as the church merged together. Um, So there's not a whole lot of written history, but there are some artifacts. So let me show you an artifact that we found. Uh, This is a plate that we found, uh, and it says, uh, in fact, if you want to know what this looks like up close, it's on the front of your service order, Uh, but actually says founded in 1922. Uh, And so this church was founded. We don't know the exact date um, that it was founded. There's, like I said, not a whole lot of written history. Uh, but this church was founded in uh, 1922. And the written history that we do have says uh, that a church started here under a tent on the corner of Edenhurst Avenue and Gardenside Lane. And so for 100 years, Christians have meeting, been meet, meeting here in this place uh, to worship the Lord. Uh, there was a short um, time where the church closed, uh, I think at the tail end of the Depression and into World War II. Uh, and then once the war ended, they, they reopened again. Um, And so God's been doing something here in this neighborhood on the street corner for a long time. Um, The other artifact that we have is a more relatively new artifact, and that is this little tiny tent. Uh, Some of you will remember um, that not only did the church that started here in 1922 start under a tent, um, but the church uh, that merged with that church uh, also started here under a tent in the parking lot. Uh, And so some of us started meeting here in the parking lot under a tent uh, in January of 2021. And by the end of that year, we had merged together as one church. And so we have this tent as a reminder uh, that the ministries that have started here all started under a tent. Uh, And so this is always on the altar to remind us of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Um, And so not only are we reflecting today on the start of our church, but our passage today is actually about the start of the church, the first church in history. And what happened in that first church on that day about 2,000 years ago has a lot of relevance for us today. Because what happened then has actually been handed down from generation to generation to generation all the way to our church on the corner of Edenhurst and Gardenside Lane, right here in Atwater Village, Los Angeles. And so what happened that day 2,000 years ago is actually what led a group of people uh, to put up a tent right here in 1922 and another group of us to put one up in the parking lot Uh, leading then to the merger of our two churches and and starting a brand new church uh, at the end of 2021, start of 2022. And so the thing that happened that day a couple thousand years ago is actually the same thing that needs to happen in our day today. And what those original group of Christians in the first century, what they wanted is very much the same thing, I'm sure, that those who started this church on this street corner wanted a hundred years ago, and it's the same thing that all of us wanted when we set up a tent in the parking lot And as we merged this church together and started this new church, what do we want? What did they want? They wanted to flourish. And we want to flourish. We want to flourish in every way. We want to flourish emotionally and relationally and physically and materially in our careers. But at the very center of that, and and actually better, at the very foundation of that, for the Christian is spiritual flourishing. And that's why the church started in the first place. That's why we started this church. And not only do we want to flourish, but but we actually want to see that flourishing spread and to see other churches start and more people reached with the good news of Jesus. 
And so the question that we're reflecting on today is what happened on that very first day in that very first church that started in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago? And does what happened there shed any light on how we can flourish and see the church spread today? And of course the answer to that is yes. Uh, The result of the church starting that day 2,000 years ago and therefore the result that we can still experience today uh, is twofold. And and actually we've been talking about this for for weeks now. And, And so the result is twofold. That those in the church flourished and that the church spread. Others were invited in, the church spread out. And so it's, it's flourishing and it's spreading. Now what this passage is in, in Acts chapter 2 is Luke giving us the details of how that church actually started. How the very first church was planted. And then the twin themes of flourishing and spreading, they're actually immediately front and center on that first day in the first church in history. And what we've been seeing over the past couple of weeks is uh, that those are the twin themes that run through the entire book of Acts. And so we're going to look at the passage like that uh, under three headings. So what is it? What, what happened when the church started? And then points two and three, what are the results of that? The result number one is flourishing, and result number two is the spreading of the church. So first, what started the church? And there are a couple of things that I think we need to say right off the top. And the first is, let's be honest, some of the things in this passage are strange. And you may be here, and you might be a person who is uh, what the philosophers call a closed universe kind of person. Uh, That's the kind of person who who doesn't believe that there's maybe anything spiritual, anything beyond what we can see and smell and taste and touch and hear. And what we're talking about today is definitely something that is transcendent. It's definitely something outside of, of those things. In other words, something that comes from beyond the physical. Something that breaks into our world from outside. And so... You know, if you're a, a closed universe kind of person, this, this passage might be hard to take in. But if that's you, I, I want to say two things. Uh, first is, in the history of the world, and probably even currently right now today, to believe in only a closed universe has been, and again, currently today, is actually a minor, minority view. Uh, it's only a recent worldview. A minority of the people in the world actually believe in a closed universe. Uh, and secondly, even if you are a closed universe person, you probably do have more of an open universe, more of a transcendent view of the world than you think you do. Because at some point you've experienced beauty that somebody else has experienced. At some point you've experienced love. At some point you've, you've experienced these transcendent moments in time that, that you know, moments that, that just transcend the, the, the physical. And so maybe the universe isn't as closed as you think it is. Now, the other thing I want to say uh, right off the top as we look at this is to the Christian, to the person who does actually believe in transcendence, the person who has no problem believing things like this described in this passage could happen. Uh, And so to that person, here's what I want to say to you. Do not expect what we're reading here today to be the norm. The book of Acts, it's not written as a a how-to manual. Years ago, I was talking to a biblical scholar about the book of Acts and And he said that the best way to think about it is like a greatest hits album rather than a comprehensive anthology. And so it's a lot more like a highlight reel than it is the entire game. And as a baseball fan, uh, there'd probably be a lot more baseball fans like me uh, in the world if the entire game was as exciting as the four or five plays that make it on the news the next morning. Well, the book of Acts, it's the highlight reel of the first couple of decades of the church. And so the events of Pentecost... Uh, and 
there were a singular event in history. There's only one day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the people of God uh, in this particular way. And so in that way, it's, it's not repeatable. It's not the norm. But on the other hand, though that event could only happen once, the effects or the fruit of that day are ongoing and still coming about today. And God's Spirit is still alive and working powerfully today. So let's get into this. What happened on that day? And first, uh, notice that what happened, notice that it happened suddenly. It says in verse 1, they were all together in one place. Now the they who uh, were all together are likely the 120 men and women mentioned uh, near the end of chapter 1. And the reason that they're all together, if you remember this from the last couple of weeks, is because the, the next to last thing that Jesus said before he ascended uh, was, you should wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. And so that's what they're doing. They're waiting, uh, and uh, they're, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And we also learn in chapter 1 that while they're waiting, they're praying. And so just let's put this on a timeline for us. This, this event happened on the day of Pentecost, which is a Jewish religious festival that happened 50 days after the celebration of the Passover. So we're talking 50 days after about the time that Jesus rose from the dead, because Jesus rose from the dead sort of during the Passover celebration. And it says elsewhere in the Bible that Jesus then appeared in various ways for 40 days after his resurrection. So now we're talking about roughly uh, a week to 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven is when this happened. Now remember it said in chapter 1 that uh, they were all together constantly in prayer. And the implication here is that we're picking up the story that they've been together, all of them together, constantly in prayer for 7 to 10 days. And then verse 2 is meant to wake you up. Look at it. Suddenly, as in without notice and out of nowhere, something different happened. 7 to 10 days of just waiting, praying and waiting and praying and waiting and praying and waiting. And then suddenly... And I think this word is important because it drives home the point that the Holy Spirit is free and sovereign and not bound to our timing. He's not bound to a certain ritual or technique of, of how to access his power. And so I imagine that they're waiting and they're wanting the Holy Spirit to come immediately. I imagine that they didn't want to wait uh, with each passing minute, and with each passing hour each passing day, that, that they probably grew more and more impatient, more and more frustrated waiting. And yet the point here is to show us that when the Holy Spirit comes, is when he comes. He comes on his own schedule. And when he does come, it, he comes suddenly. He has his own will, his own plan. He, he doesn't bend to our will. He doesn't adjust to, to us. He has his own plan. And the waiting and the praying and the suddenly are a good lesson for us who are used to not waiting for much of anything in our instant society. Well, as we read on, this is where it gets really trippy, um, especially for a closed universe person, because look at what the rest of verse 2 says. So it says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Like I said, trippy, okay? Uh, and then it says in verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So it talks about a violent wind coming from heaven and filling the house. So follow me here. There's sound. You can hear this. And there's 
feeling. A wind is something that you can feel as well. And then in verse 3, it says they saw, so they see something, and it's tongues of fire separating and resting on each person. We're going to come to this whole tongues thing in a little bit, but for now, what we're talking about here is quite obviously something transcendent. Something spiritual, something out of the norm, something has broken into the physical reality that we know. That God the Holy Spirit has come, and yet he's manifested himself in a physical way. And so they saw something, they felt something, they heard something. And for the closed universe person, God, who is spirit, sometimes will transcend into the physical world. And so what this is doing is it's actually placing the spiritual firmly into the physical world. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit, who is spirit, makes himself known physically. You can see. You can touch. You can hear. But the question becomes then, okay, well, if the Spirit can do that, why doesn't he do this at all times? Why does the Holy Spirit manifest this way for some and not for others, and in some times and not other times? Well, why he does it and doesn't do it is part of his sovereign will and wisdom. Because, listen, the Holy Spirit is not fire. He is not wind. He is not a dove. He is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. He's not something we can manipulate. He is God of very God. He is the third person of the Trinity, and we are not to confuse him with any particular manifestation. He is utterly free. But when he wants to, there might be fire, there might be wind, there may be a voice, there might be a dream, there may be a miracle. But that is always up to the Spirit, and not up to you and I. Now, the other thing that's important for us to notice here is that it says that the fire comes and separates and comes to rest on each one of them who are in the room. And here's what's critically important for all of us uh, for this. Um, this marks a monumental turning point in history and in God's relation to humankind. This moment right here. Because prior to this, very few people received the Holy Spirit. It, receiving the Holy Spirit was something in the Old Testament that was reserved for kings and priests and prophets, and occasionally for certain people to accomplish certain tasks. And then in some instances, the person who uh, received the Spirit, uh, sometimes then the Spirit um, would leave. But what happens here is different. And it's the next phrase in verse 4 that explains all this. In verse 4 it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is the moment right here, this moment right here, the tongues of fire descend and separate and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, this is the start of the church. The launch of the first church happened the moment the Holy Spirit came and rested on this diverse group of 120 men and women. And what that's showing us is that the Spirit came permanently and to all Christians for good. So what this is showing us is that the Holy Spirit is for all believers for all of life. We don't get some of the Holy Spirit, we get all of the Holy Spirit. We don't have the Holy Spirit for part of our lives, we have the Holy Spirit for our whole lives. And because of that, as we read on, we see that there's two results. We see, A, that they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and B, they began to speak in other tongues. Now put that another way, in the language that we've been using, we see flourishing and we see spreading. So let's look at those two uh, results. Uh, first, and this is point two, flourishing. It says in the rest of verse four, that they began to speak in other language, languages, which again, we're going to come back to. But 
For now, I want to focus on what it means to be filled with the Spirit and just what it was that they were saying in these other languages. Now, um, there's something about Los Angeles culture that means when the right people, meaning uh, those who maybe have a certain amount of influence in the culture, enough people follow them, so when the right people discover the right thing, be it a certain kind of food or experience or product, uh, those right people use their platform and tell everybody about it. Uh, and then, uh, for the next three to six months, there's a line. You just wait. Uh, years ago, before we lived in LA, we were uh, living down in San Diego, so this is going back 11, 12 years ago, and Emmy's parents came out to visit us down in San Diego, and they'd never been up to Los Angeles, so we thought, okay, we'll just drive up for the day, and a friend of mine who lived here uh, was going on and on about going to Pink's Hot Dogs, which I don't think is a thing now, but it was a thing then. And, uh, and so it was all the rage in LA, Pink's Hot Dogs at that time. And so we drive over there, and we get out of the car, we walk up, and there's a long line outside, uh, and that's just to order. And so the line to order, it must have been 30, 40 minutes before you even put your order in at this place. And I remember about halfway through waiting in line uh, just to order, Emmy's dad, who spent his entire childhood and at least the first 15 years of his adult life living under a uh, pretty brutal communist rule in Albania, uh, we're just kind of talking, and he just says, you know, um, when I lived in communism, we used to have to wait in line with our ration cards just to get bad food, and we hated it, and now we're doing it because we want to. Like, what is wrong with us? <laughs> now, the point is, the reason that we wait in line is because someone had that hot dog or drank that coffee or ate that bagel, or had that ice cream, or bought that makeup, or enjoyed that experience. And out of the overflow of their enjoyment of it, they told everyone they know, and they blasted it on social media so that others could enjoy it too. And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but C.S. Lewis said that we haven't completed our enjoyment of anything until we've invited others to enjoy it too. That praising, the praising of something to someone else is actually the completion, is the fulfillment of our enjoyment of that thing. And so if someone is sharing the goodness of something, it usually means that they have already or currently are experiencing the goodness themselves. And that is what is happening here in this passage. So it says here in verse 4 that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, what is going on here? We'll look a few verses down in verse 11. It becomes much more clear because in verse 11, it says what they were saying in these other languages. It says, verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God. In other words, declaring the wonders, the praise of God, is the completion of their enjoyment. And so the overflow shows what they are already experiencing. And as these foreigners have, have gathered around this room that they're in and are standing around people from all over the world, they're hearing people declare the wonders of God in their own tongue, their own home language. As this is happening, what that's telling us is what's happening inside of those believers who've received the Holy Spirit. They're enjoying God. And this is what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is to go along with what the Holy Spirit is already doing and has been doing for eternity. Enjoying the glory of God. 
enjoying fellowship with the other members of the Trinity, praising God the Father, praising God the Son. And remember what we said earlier, what happened on that day, it's not repeatable. There's not going to be a second day of Pentecost. So how then do we get filled with the Spirit? How do we enjoy this? How can we enjoy God in this way? Well, Ephesians 5. In verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Wake up! Wake up! Don't go through life asleep. Wake up! Be alert! And so that's the first thing. It's wake up to the spiritual realities of this life. Then verses 15 and 16, it says, Stop making unwise, foolish, sinful choices. Stop doing that. It gives the example of getting drunk in verse 18. And so follow this, to be filled with the Spirit. First is wake up, wake up, wake up. To the spiritual realities that God is alive and active in this world, that he transcends into this reality. Wake up, it says. And then second, it says stop making unwise, foolish, sinful choices. And then third, and here's what I want us to see. You can see this on the screen. If we can go to the next slide. Ephesians 5, verse 19, verse 18, it says, Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Instead of being asleep, instead of making unwise choices, instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's very difficult for us to see this in English, but the grammar of how this whole paragraph works is the command to be filled with the Spirit that's the main thing that's being said here. That's the main thing. And then all the other verbs are just describing how it is to be, be filled. And so what does it say? How are you filled with the Spirit? Well, it says first, speaking to one another. And what are we speaking to one another with? With psalms. In other words, with the Word of God itself. And then it says with hymns and songs from the Spirit. You know, these are songs or poems written to glorify God. And I love that it says songs from the Spirit, because what it's saying is when you have a song that is glorifying God, you are joining with the Spirit in what He has been doing for eternity. So they're speaking, but then notice it's then, then it says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And so now it's not just speaking to one another, but now there's singing involved. And then thirdly, it says, always giving thanks. And so you could summarize how to be filled with the Spirit this way. It's speaking truth about God, it's singing truth about God, and it's constant gratitude to God. Speaking truth about God, singing truth about God, and constant gratitude towards God. Now remember what we said a couple weeks ago, the Holy Spirit has been doing for eternity. He's for eternity as the third person of the Trinity has been doing nothing but speaking truth about God about God the Father, about God the Son. And he's been doing nothing but singing truth about God the Father and God the Son. He's been doing nothing but glorifying God the Father and God the Son. So get this, follow this. In other words, to be filled with the Spirit is to join in with all the things, the kinds of things that the Holy Spirit is already doing and has done for eternity. And so according now back to our passage, Acts chapter 2, verse 11, this is what the 120 disciples were doing. They are declaring the wonders of God. And so if you're not flourishing, if you're not feeling like you're filled with the Spirit, don't wait around for a second Pentecost. Wake up. Wake up. 
wake up. Stop making foolish choices and instead be filled with the Spirit by speaking the truth about God to others, by singing truth about God to one another and grow in your gratitude. Now on the singing thing, I know we talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's worth bringing up again. Did you ever realize that when we're here and we're singing, that we're actually singing as much to one another as we are to God? Did you ever realize that? That's what this text says we're doing. We're actually singing to one another. Uh, And so your singing helps me and everyone else in the room be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so to that end, we should be a singing church. As much as we want to be a praying church and a confessing church and a proclaiming church, we should be a singing church. Okay, now I've basically run out of time and we haven't even gotten to the second result uh, of the start of the church, but let's just do it very briefly. The second result of the church, uh, starting on that day the Holy Spirit was given, uh, was the spreading of the church. It, It spread out. Now it says four times in this passage explicitly that the first Christians were supernaturally speaking in other tongues, and that it references it a further two times. And so this is supernatural, this is extraordinary. And the people who are hearing this are even more shocked than normal because look what it says in verse 7. It says, utterly amazed, they asked, and I love this, aren't all of those who are speaking Galileans? Now, essentially what they're saying, again, this is what I love about it, is basically what they're saying is uh, they're utterly amazed and they're like, wait, aren't all those who are speaking uneducated backwater hicks? How could they possibly know these global languages? Um, A number of years ago, I was uh, invited to preach. I was in the Czech Republic, and I was invited to preach in this church, and it's one of the most unique experiences I've ever had because about half of the church were deaf. And so I don't speak Czech, which means I was being translated into Czech, and I also don't speak Czech Sign Language, so I was also simultaneously being translated into Czech Sign Language. And, uh, and so I would say something, and then the person would translate in Czech, and then the person would translate in sign language, and then I could say another half a sentence, and then they would do it again and again, and this went on uh, for about half an hour. And uh, this was difficult communication, extremely difficult communication, because I couldn't express all the nuances that I wanted to. I couldn't uh, do it with the passion and the clarity that I wanted to. I could only communicate about a third of what I wanted to because it had to get translated, and so it took just as long to say... Uh, you know, one-third as it would to do a whole sermon. But that's not what's happening here. Here, the reason that they're amazed is because these people are speaking like natives. And so what's going on here? Without, without wading into the deep end and all the scholarly debates and what specifically is happening, it seems like these 120 people are speaking in the known languages of those who make up the crowd gathered around them. I remember all this is happening during the festival of Pentecost, which means there would have been people from all over the world in Jerusalem. In fact, Luke gives a bit of hyperbole in verse 5 when he says that there are people from every nation under heaven. Um, That's a little bit of hyperbole because he goes on to list them, and obviously they're not all listed there. Uh, But these are nations from all over the world, down in verses 10 and 11. So the languages that they're speaking are human languages known by the people in the crowd. Now why is that? Why do that? Why is that the sign that God gives at the launch of the church? Well, the reason is so that the church would spread. Look at verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? 
And then verse 13, a different response. Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Now here's the point, because we don't have much more time. Here's the point. Declaring the wonders of God leads to either an interest in hearing the gospel and receiving it in some people, or a disinterest and a rejection of God in others. Declaring the wonders of God leads to either an interest in hearing the gospel and receiving it in some, or a disinterest and a rejection of God in others. Because what happens in the very next passage, which we'll look at next week, what happens immediately after this is Peter then stands up in response to them saying, hey, they're drunk. Peter actually stands up and he's like, no, we're not, we're not drunk. Uh, and then he says, and again, we'll see this in more detail next week, he says all the way down in verse 38 that Jesus Christ came for the forgiveness of sins and to give the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus Christ came, Jesus Christ died, Jesus Christ was buried, he was raised from the dead in order to offer forgiveness for our sins and for those of us who are trusting in him to flourish. And then, and this is extraordinary, it says that 3,000 became Christians that day. 3,000 men and women received the forgiveness of sins in the Holy Spirit and began to flourish. And here's the overall point of all of this. Why all of this in tongues? Why in all these languages? It's so that the gospel would spread to the ends of the earth. So it wouldn't stay in one place, but that it would spread. The way the gospel spreads is first through our enjoyment of God, and then secondly, our enjoyment of God raises an interest in hearing the gospel in some. Put that another way, the more you and I enjoy God, the more others will be interested. Put that one more way, the more you and I are filled with the Spirit, the more the church reaches to the ends of the earth. Put that one last way, the more we flourish, the more the church spreads. And these are the twin themes of the book of Acts. These are the twin themes of the church. And so a hundred years later, not only is there still a church building standing here at Edenhurst in Gardenside, but there is a vibrant, living church inhabiting it. And I love, I absolutely love what Ricardo said in that video earlier. That this is, unless the Lord comes back, this is the start of another hundred years. A hundred years of us flourishing and the church spreading. And it all reaches back to that first day, 2,000 years ago. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks again for all that you've done in this place over the years. We give you thanks that the twin themes that were apparent on the very first day when the very first church started of flourishing and spreading are still the same themes that we see today. And so, Father, we ask you that, that we would be filled with the Spirit, that we would flourish. And, Father, we pray that your church would spread through the preaching of the gospel. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.